I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has had to overcome while trying to succeed. That is a quote by Booker T. Washington. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 72. The topic of this week's episode is working hard and being smart are not enough. My guest this week is Tony Crow. Tony was a 30-year award-winning corporate vice president. She worked for such companies as United Technologies, Rockwell, and Honeywell. Tony early retired to pursue her dream of becoming a best-selling author. Tony wrote her six-book memoir series in six months. The basis of her books is that working hard and being smart is not enough to be successful. Everyone can use a helping hand. Her books were written to offer that hand. Hi, Tony. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. You know what? I'm glad to have you here with me. Um, As we were speaking before we decided to go live, I heard you on another podcast and you just really inspired me with your personal story. And I believe you're originally from Chicago, as I am, too. Yes. Um, You are an author. You have authored a six book series. Yes. You spent many years in corporate America as an executive. So, you know what? Give me a brief story on who Tony is and and how you came from being that Tony in Chicago to who you are today. Well, for me, it really started with uh, my mom. My mom had me when I when she was 15 years old. And I'm her oldest of six children. And so I embodied everything that she wanted to be. But like her before me, I ended up having a child at 15. And then I had nerve enough uh, to still graduate college at six, graduate high school at 16, because she was just so determined that I graduate high school. So I graduated high school. But back then I was a bad decision making machine. So at 17, I ran away with a man that was gonna make me a model. I got to Cleveland, Ohio. Turned out he was a pimp and wanted me to live in a brothel. Escaped from there after about four months. At 21, had my second child. But at 23, I went back to college. I went back to the University of Illinois at Chicago, downtown Chicago, and got a degree in electrical engineering. And you say to yourself, what made me go back to school at 23? Well, when I was in high school, uh, I went to Limbloom High School in Chicago. They brought in an engineering manager who spoke to a small group of us, about 10 or 15 of us in a stuffy, hot classroom. And he talked about the fact that what a difference a college degree had made for him. 
And he came in and spent his time, talked to us, but he was the first one in his family to go to college. He was the first one to own a car, the first one to have a house. And then he did something that never left me, that impacted my life so that when I was 23 and at my lowest, I thought of it. He said that his decisions to be an impactful person made a difference to his entire family. That once he went back to school and turned his life around, he looked around and his family went back to school. But then the people that were on his team, he could help them do better. And then the people that were his friends, he could help them do better. And he had become this example. And that's why he was there trying to talk to us about why it was important to go to college and graduate. That never left me. So let's fast forward 35 years. I'm getting out, I'm going to retire. I've managed to be an award-winning corporate vice president. I'm working for a multi-billion dollar aerospace company. And what I said, I'm going to retire and write books. And I wrote books, one of which is my book, um, Bullets and Bosses, which is about my corporate career. But it's not reached enough people. The book is not the most salacious experiences. It's the experiences that I have uh, going through my organizations and learning everything the hardest way that you can. And when I say the hardest way that you can learn it, you know, they did not teach us back then how to manage people. I took classes on how to dress for success. Remember those mm-hmm. classes? How to dress yes. for success. There was no there was no class called how to manage people successfully, how to deal with a difficult employee, what to do if they call you nasty names in the meeting. What to do if they ignore you in the meeting? None of that stuff existed. So I took all that and I tried to roll it into stories about my career. But how to be an impactful person, how to be an impactful leader and not be jerky because the jerky people seem to rise to the top in corporate America, in corporate America and I'm, I want the non-jerky people to rise to the top. That's, that's kind of my story. I want to impact. I believe we can change the world. If we get value-driven leaders to help other people become value-driven leaders. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm shaking my head at everything because I know exactly what you're talking about. Being in corporate America for almost 30 years, a naval officer for almost, you know, in the military for almost 30 years. And I have seen those nasty people who were the bosses. Oh. And, yeah. and you wonder how, how did they become a, a, a boss? And I'm not even going to say leader because to be a leader, you, you have to be more than a supervisor. That's my yes. opinion. And yes. it just seemed like you're right. It seemed like those people climbed the corporate ladder. And that was one of the things that made me want to become a naval officer was I didn't want to be like the other people who were leaders over me. Yes. So yes, that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that you're doing this and you're reaching back and you want to be impactful, that's really it. it it's really it's like it's almost like you giving me a piece of chocolate because it's it's such a turn on to me because that's where my heart lies. So go ahead and tell me about how you choose to be impactful. We know you you write and tell us what's what was your reasoning behind doing the books that you have done and like you said giving your pieces of wisdom to people to help them 
the the key for me is that see I understand how the jerky people get to be on top, and it's because the people that are decent and have values don't know how to deal with those people. Mm. They're playing in different different fields. The people that are willing to hurt people to get on top, to do whatever the corporation says, to become a, a, a corporate prostitute and just get paid to do whatever, those people move faster because the decent people have no idea what to do about it. Right. So what I did is I've developed a set of techniques and there's these foundations that exist in these techniques. And one of the foundations are things that you can teach. Some things are teachable, some things are not. But the things that are teachable, you just need to tell people what those things are and actually just give them, put them on the path and just give them a little push. They, the people will run down that path and start doing the right things to try and make it. The reason I wrote the book in six parts is that my life developed that way for me. There was a part when I was young and trying to figure out how to get away from a person that had taken advantage of a naive teenager. There's a part where I went back to college and had to learn how to navigate college because a lot of people don't recognize this. You went to the the Naval Academy, you're an officer, you know that it's more to school than just doing the books. Okay, there's more to school than just the books. And then I wrote about my corporate career I made a workshop that a workbook that goes with the the corporate book after many people punched me and harassed me. So we need some exercises. So the book was modified so that it has the chapters and then exercises at the end. And it has a separate workbook uh, that I actually give away free inside the book. That's a secret. (laughs) (laughs) If you buy the book and you click on the link, you'll get the workbook for free. But but it also you, know, you can also just buy it on Amazon by itself, and then a couple more books that are companions to the other two books. Um, and the key for me is that I want the teachable parts out there, and I want people to assess themselves and decide: Do you even want to do this? I don't think people recognize how hard it is to try to be a good leader. It's easy to be a bad leader. Mm-hmm. There were many a night when one of my employees was struggling with something. I went home and I couldn't sleep that night thinking about, you know, what can I do to try and help them? How can I make this better for everybody? Or I see people going in the wrong direction. You know, how do I stop them from doing that without making this a big deal? Because it's supposed to be between you and the person that works for you. It's not supposed to be between you and everybody in the room. It's you and that one person that you bring in and say, hey, look, let's let's work with you on these things that you're not doing well with. So it's it's that whole that whole thing. And and I wrote the sixth book in six months because I wanted to write the entire time that I was busily working. But I had two children and a husband, and I wanted the best for my family that I could. And that meant that I didn't get to and back then I called and indulged myself in writing things that weren't corporate memos or financial reports or five-year plans and all the things I needed to make myself successful and to be promoted in that position that they were paying me to do. So I wrote almost no non-corporate activities the entire 35 years. So the moment that I got out of there and started to write, it just all came out. Wow. So inspirational. So, uh, you know, I have a couple of questions for you. So 
you being a woman of color, which, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see many people like you in the C-suites, right? So yeah. your rise as you worked your way up, tell me about some of your struggles and how you overcame them. And did you have, you know, nowadays the buzzword is have a mentor, have a sponsor. Did you have any of those people on your way up? I had what people would like to try to call sponsors, but all they really would do was watch me work. (laughs) That's basically what they did. They had no idea how to work with me. There were some keys to me being successful that I found out early. And it was, um, they call it, like they said, they call it emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. now. I call it being an impactful leader. Uh, A couple of the, the easy ones that are easily learned is, the first one is just control your emotions mm-hmm. because what people will do is deliberately poke you. Okay. You'll be in a meeting presenting an idea. That's actually a good idea. You've thought it out. You've got your presentation down pat. You wrote it and away you go. And they would poke you with a question that they knew it would take you more than five minutes to answer. And then they would sit there and smile trying to see if you stumble all over yourself. So controlling your emotions was one of it. And the thing that made the most difference in that one was to be aware of the fact of what was happening to Mm -hmm. you. If you felt yourself getting hot, you need to stop that, cut that out, stop it, and then grab control of it because you know they're poking you. The second thing is, since I put this together, there's not a question you can ask me about this that I can't answer. Now, I may have to think about it for a moment. But I'm the one that designed it. I'm the one that put this presentation together. I didn't have anybody helping me with that stuff back then. And uh, so I learned, uh, you ask me a question, I'll try and answer it. But I learned a little trick that is a ninja trick that I always want to give out to my women of color. And that is repeat the question the way you want to repeat the question. So let's say somebody says to you, uh, Tony, I see that your factory in Taiwan has... uh, bad quality for the last three weeks. And I want you to explain to me why that is. And I would say, so let me make sure I understand your question. You want to make sure that the quality in my plants knows how I've changed Mm -hmm. that. The quality in my plants meets the company uh, uh, criteria. Yeah. Let me talk about it. So first let me talk about my plant in New York, which has this. Then let me talk about my plant in Philippines, which has that. Now let's talk about my plant in Taiwan that's doing it. So I take their question and it is normal in any meeting for you to repeat the question, but they look like a jerk if they then say, wait, wait, that wasn't my question. Because everybody else goes, yeah, that was your question. When well, your question about the quality in the plant, that was, that was your question, right? But what they wanted to do was to lock you into a room, but you're the one that has the key because you got the mic. The person with the mic and rephrase the question. I could have rephrased that question to, yeah, you know, you said you thought you saw Mickey Walsh at my Taiwan plant. <laughs> and you want me to tell you about that? So I then set the, 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 I changed the box to the box that I wanted to be. And I'll answer that question as part of it. So that's just that little thing stops a lot of the poking because people quickly learn, you can ask me a question, but I'm going to answer the question I want to answer. And when I'm done answering, everybody go, oh, Tony, that's great. That was really good what you guys did about that. It doesn't work out the way they want. The second thing that women of color have that a lot of people don't have is we have incredible social skills. And that's just a fact. That's just part of who we are, 
most of us, some of us struggle a little bit, but most of us are have incredible social skills. We can read people and understand people pretty well. The key was that most of us don't use that at work the way that we could, because we can use our social skills to literally change the direction of a meeting, change the direction of a person, take a really tense situation and turn it around to one that's not tense, take a non-tense situation and make it tense for somebody you don't like. And we don't recognize that incredible power that we have in our ability to socialize. The thing that we do that many others do not is that we socialize with people when we don't want anything from them. Yes. Okay? Black women in positions of power and not in positions of power socialize with people that they don't want anything from. Mm -hmm. We bring people coffee or cake or we stop by their office and stick our head in and talk. If we see somebody struggling with something, we say, girl, I know how to do that. Here's how you do it. But we don't recognize that's actually a very powerful skill that you can use in the workplace to do it. Now, it turns out that both those things are two of the four tenets of being an emotionally intelligent leader, self-awareness and social skills and empathy. But back then, I, I didn't know that. I just knew that those things would help me go up as I needed to go. That's brilliant what you said about reframing the question, how you want to come out and how you plan to answer it. it. It's just, it's amazing that I think about that. And it's funny because just like you, I didn't have any mentors or sponsors. I learned the hard way yeah. on, okay, this is what I need to do and how I need, because like you're saying, they'll, they poke you. And I call that they're asking the stump the chump question because they're going to, oh, yeah. you know, they're asking the question because they're trying to stump you. And like you said, they're going to sit back and look and, mm -hmm, oh, she didn't know that, you know, that type of thing. That's correct. That's correct. So I've had that happen. And after the first, you know, a couple of times I was like, okay, I, I see where you're going. And like you said, that perceptiveness, you're like, I'm going to be ready for you. So after that, I started preparing and I would think ahead of, okay, when yeah. I said this, yeah. this is what this may garner on this question or that question. So yep. it's amazing to me how many people um, try, they, they want to see you fail. They want to see yeah. you fail and you yeah. have to be smarter than them so that you can succeed or so that at least you can show them, Hey, I came to this, this, room I'm showing up and I'm going to show out because you're you're not going to destroy me because th they do some people just want to destroy you so yes yeah I mean have you had that happen to you as you are as you progressed in your career did you ever come across people just blatantly just trying to push you down like they's like oh, okay here's Tony she's doing this she's doing this she's achieved this she's achieved that um I'm going to stop her in her tracks I once took a position, I was lucky enough with my husband that I worked for, the old McDonnell Douglas is now Boeing. Mm -hmm. And I was living in St. Louis, Missouri, and I managed to win a position that included a full relocation from St. Louis to California for myself and a job for my spouse. Nice race. And I come on campus and I get there and I start running my team. And the next thing I know, one of the gentlemen in the team comes and sits down at my desk. He says, you know, people are saying you got this job because you're the boss's girlfriend. What? What did you do? What? <laughs> I got this job because I'm the boss's girlfriend? 
really? I'm the boss's girlfriend from St. Louis that the company moved here so I could be near him. You guys all know I'm married with a with a really handsome husband, to which they all would say, well, we didn't know you were married. I says, ah, let me, let me take care of this. So the next time I began to have my husband come and meet me for lunch and take my team out to meet my spouse, who was my uh, 42-year-old husband versus my 67-year-old <laughs> boss. <laughs> I have a 42-year-old match soulmate for me, and you can see this anytime we're together versus my seven-year-old boss to try and do that. So I never knew who started that horrible, horrible rumor. But that was a person that was trying to push me down. They couldn't find anything wrong with what I was doing with my team. There was nothing wrong with my qualifications. I had managed to fit into the company's culture, which was very different in California than St. Louis. That was something I had struggled with a little bit, but I managed to do it. I came up with this random thing that, oh, you're the boss's, what? You're the boss's girlfriend, and that's how you got this job. Nothing to do with your qualifications or your abilities. Something told you, sleeping your way to the top. Yeah. So, yes, I had that happen. Yeah, I've had that too. Uh, I want to go back to something you said previously about how you started your life out. You had some bumps along the way, but you triumph. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love women like you, because I too, I had some poor choices and mistakes oh, along yeah. the way. How do you use your mistakes and your poor choices in life to inspire other women and, and tell people that, you know, just because you made a mistake here, that doesn't define where you're going here. Yeah, well, I am a great example of that. And I don't mind people knowing my backstory. You know, a lot of people get to certain positions and now it's a secret, you know, where you were. No, I started out my life in the Chicago projects. I used to be in the Henry Horner projects. Mm -hmm. was lucky enough to get to the South side in the house with my parents, made poor decisions all through my teenage years. But the key is, are you growing? And that is the question I will ask women. I want you to look at yourself now. And I want you to think about what do you want to be? And if you don't know who you want to be, do you see anybody around you that's even sort of what you want to be? And then what I want you to do is to think about one thing about yourself you can change, just one, to become that person. Because the human brain is so horrible. Once you have a bad habit, making bad decisions, it is really hard to stop. You have to make an effort to, to, to stop. One of the things that I have is something that I call my master class. And that is where I actually have a group of people where I send out like a newsletter to mm -hmm. them and then offer them the opportunity to, to work together to try and help them through any problems that they're having, to help them do better mm -hmm. uh, with their, you know, with what they're doing. And it's, it's, it, it just makes a difference to have somebody else they can talk to. So uh, I'll tell you one of the things that happened recently that I think made a difference in someone's uh, career. Uh, I'm going to call her AK. AK uh, got really, really pissed off with her boss about something and was actually in a conflict with her boss. And when I talked to her, uh, when she reached out to me and we went a little deeper into it, I told her one of the secrets of this world. Uh, you can't win a fight with your boss. <laughs> okay, I, I, the only way to win a fight 
with your boss is to not engage. And she said, what? I had to, we had to talk two times mm-hmm. for her to recognize what I had just said to her. You can't win this. Mm-hmm. The only way to win is to not engage. She says, well, I'm already engaged. Well, disengage. Right. This is why I'm so angry. So what we agreed to do is she typed an email to her boss saying everything she wanted and sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So get it all out. Write down all that craziness that you're feeling. Every bit of it. Do it on your home computer. Make sure my name is on the two line before you start writing. And you put every bit of that down that you want to get out. And after she wrote all that down and emailed it to me, what I did with the email was press delete. Right. I didn't, I didn't even read it because that wasn't the point of it. Right. The point was for her to recognize, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And when she wrote it all down, so much of it was irrelevant mm-hmm. and petty. And she recognized that it was her perception of what she thought the boss was doing. It didn't even matter if he was doing it or not. It was that she thought he was. Mm-hmm. And once we got past that, she was able to disengage and go back to being the the focused and employee that she wanted to be instead of being this walking around mad all the time person every time. You cannot be mad every time you go in to talk to your boss. But sometimes when you're going to know you got good stuff to say. So you're saying good stuff in a mad way. What what are you doing to yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you doing to yourself? You're messing yourself up. Wow. Yeah. That's just so, you know, I wish I had you as a, a mentor sponsor as I was coming <laughs> coming up through the ranks. We didn't exist back then. You and I, we had to grow. We had to grow. You know, yeah, because you had to learn this stuff on your own. What is, you know, and I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh, my God, yes, I've been there. I've, I've been that person. And you have to take a step back. And so with you, it sounds like you're like me where you learn these things through the school of hard knocks. But you just you yeah. get to a, a point where you could reach back and help someone else. You didn't say, well, I learned mine this way and I, I'm, I'm not going to help anyone else. Because one of the things that frustrates me so much with women is they think that there's not enough room in the world for some other, uh, other woman to succeed. Yeah. See, this is not a pie. This isn't a pie. <laughs> okay. You can have a big slice you can have the whole pie because there's not a pie. There's this big, huge thing of success. It's infinite. And you can have as much as you want to anybody that wants to have it whenever they want to have it. And there's still plenty left for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we're not doing a zero sum game where what I get takes away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that, that women have to learn. And you can actually show that to them. Right. You can show that. You know, you can actually have Oprah and you can have Zoe Zaldana. You can actually have both of them at the same time. Exactly. You know? Yes. You know, there's, there's nothing that stops them. They're, they're both out there doing their thing and being fashion icons and doing what they want to do. And it's not subtracting, you know, from, from either one of them. Yes. You're doing your own thing. Get as much success as you can. And in fact, in my lifetime, I've actually helped people who then went on to become my boss, which was nothing but goodness for me because the first thing they did was grab me and snatch them over to where they were. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that was the first thing they did. One of my uh, key promotions in my life was a young woman that was brilliant, just just absolutely brilliant. She was a physicist, and I couldn't even keep up with her. And that brilliance got her promoted on up the chain. She went up the chain, and next thing I knew, I get called to my boss's office, and he said, well, uh, you're being transferred. Where am I being transferred? You've been transferred to her. She made a special request for you as part of her taking this promotion. So see you. And I'm like, well, good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's nothing but goodness for me. Her success led to even more success for me. Wow. And that's yeah. that's great that you look at it that way. But then so many people that you may help may forget about you. They may figure, okay, now I'm the boss and um, forget, forget Trina over there because now I'm her boss and I'm going to show her what I'm made of. You know, you have so many people well, like I've that. Had that happen too. Yeah, I've had that happen too, but you know what? I'm not, not going to make that by, I, I don't manage to the negative. Mm-hmm. If you manage to the negative, you will never be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Because if you have one guy that's still in the sugar out the coffee, out the room, still in the sugar from the coffee, you can't take sugar away from everybody right. to get that one guy. Figure out who that one guy is and deal with him. You got one person coming to work late every day. Don't make up some ornery, crazy rule about everybody because you don't want to deal with this one guy that's personally doing it. No, deal with that one person and leave everyone else alone, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. I can talk to you forever about leadership because as you can tell, that's one of my passions as well. But let's talk about your books. and like you said, they kind of correspond with your stages in life. And as you yes. were going through corporate, you said you did you always have that passion to write? But you were um, like you said, you were pro- you were providing for your family and doing what you had to do. Yeah, when I went back to get my college degree and, you know, in Illinois, they have the Pell Grants and mm-hmm. then the University of Illinois has these different little scholarship things you can apply for. And I had one, too. I had won one that was for uh, drama and writing and one for engineering, physics, uh, being a physicist, a chemist, or an engineer. And I decided to be an engineer. And the reason why, it was twofold. I figured if I took the ones for literature and writing, I would be back in grocery somewhere, and that would make my family very, very unhappy. But if I took the ones for being an engineer, you were almost guaranteed a job if you could learn those skills and it had a pathway that looked much better. But I've always loved writing. My mother said that I was a storyteller. That's what she likes to put it. You're a storyteller. And you love to start making up stories when you were a little girl. And then you loved documenting what other people would do. So when she, I, I once wrote her a book that said, Mommy goes to work and comes home and cooks dinner. Daddy goes to work and comes home and cuts the grass. And I go to school. That was the whole book. (laughs) That was the book. And I was very proud of my book that I had folded up these pages on and wrote and gave to her. And she kept that, of course, teased me with it when I got married and uh, just just loved the idea of writing and capturing things and documenting things. I just I just like it. So with that, tell me about, you know, that's your passion. Tell me how it was for you to leave that corporate America job and say, you know what, now I'm following my passion. Tell me how that felt, your steps. Tell me what you would recommend to other women out there who want to do that. 
A lot of people say, uh, how was your transition? It was scary. Mm -hmm. I can tell you it was scary. And the reason it was scary was that when you're in corporate America, you do your job and they pay you. And that pay and that benefits comes in routinely. When you retire, and I wasn't old enough to get Social Security, I wasn't old enough to get my pensions. So what happened when I retired, it was just a swoosh, like a guillotine came down and cut, and cut, the, uh, cut the money off. So that was kind of scary. And then I didn't really know if I had the skill. You know, sometimes you feel like you might be, and people say it's an imposter syndrome. I think it actually is an imposter syndrome that women sometimes have. Because before I wrote that first book, I really felt, am I, am I going to be able to do this? I want to do it. Because I had two choices. I could uh, write the book and go forward that way, or I could choose to do something else because I'm, I was, too young to, like I said, get money from the government. So, so that was that was driving me. But once I started writing the book, I did the thing I always do. I did some research. I took some classes. I joined up to a, a self-publishing school, the free one. And then I joined up to self-publishing school, the paid one. And then I just started learning all the things I needed to do. But I was also really lucky with the support that I was given by my family and my friends. I had my husband, who was already retired, came over, uh, and, and I'm trying to do a website. I'm going to be an author, and all the books say do a website. So I'm trying to do a website, and my husband comes over and looks over my shoulder and watches me for a while. He comes back the next day, and he says, you know what? Get up for a minute. And I get up for a minute. He sits down, and when I come back, he says, well, okay, I'm, I'm ready. He says, no, we're going to get another computer. I said, what? He says, we're going to get another computer because... Uh, I'm going to help you. You were just going in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't stand it. So he became, and the best way to say it, he became both my husband and my staff. My sister became my beta reader to read for me. My other sister helped me do some proofreading. So I um, was afraid. It was scary. I think the transition was a little bit hard for me. But I used all the things I had learned in, in my career, which is get up every day, have a schedule, and go to work. Except that the work now is that I'm writing at home. And during that time while I'm writing at home, schedule that time and actually write for that time. Uh, putting the books together themselves, um, writing is a, a, a horrible gig. Because the writer is the original designer, and you've got a book coming out, so mm -hmm. you know this. The writer is the original designer. We're the first editor. We're the first proofreader. We're the cover designer. We're the marketeer. Yes. We're the agent. We're booking ourselves on, on, on podcasts and trying to do marketing efforts. We are everything, and we're the financier. We're the people putting the money up for all of that. So that's eight different roles you're playing after you wrote the book, mm -hmm. you had to sit down and write the whole book. Now you've got to get a cover for the book. And now you got to format the book. And now you got to edit the book. And who's going to proofread the book? And you got to manage the beta rulers. And then you got to launch the book. And all those things are actually hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> They're hard to do. Uh, helping people launch books is one of the other things I do sometimes to, to try and, and, and get it out. Cause with six books, I've got it down to a, a little system. I don't have this big super duper thing that people have. 
but I do have a, a spreadsheet that I give away to people that are that are launching and say, try these things and see if they work. Mm-hmm. Again, just trying to make it so a lot of other people can be successful. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I want everyone to be successful. Yeah, I know what you're saying about that horrid... <laughs> Because <laughs> no, no, you have a book coming out in January. In right? January, and I'm in the middle of doing exactly what you said. I'm like, okay, marketing, and okay, this is what I need to do, and this is how I need to do it, and who I need to talk to. And before I started this journey, you know, I had no clue. I mean, I knew it had to be done, you know, intellectually, but I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, I was going to be the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and all of this stuff in between. <laughs> you, you. Everyone, and even if people to help you, you still got to make all the decisions. Yes, doing that about making that happen for your book. Yes, so that's cool. I can't wait for your book to come out. Yes, that's really cool. So, name your book from a mess to amazing seven steps to create the life you deserve. And I'm going through that imposter syndrome right now because I'm going, Oh my goodness, who's going to read this? You know, and it's, it's nothing big. It's, it's less than a hundred pages. And I was like, someone's going to look at this and say, oh, this is not a good book to read. It's not long. And, and just everything is going through my mind now. And I'm going, yes. you know, will someone like it? Or if someone's going to, will somebody rate it and say something negative about it? But then I had to think about it. I said, you know what? I'm writing for a specific person. That's correct. And it's not going to appeal to everyone. So right. I just got to understand that. Yes. You know, I have to yeah. understand that. <laughs> and and part of it is you really have something to add to the ideas in the world just from your own experience. And that's what I had to tell myself also. I have something to add. I have an, a thing to add that will make the world better. I can actually change someone's world with what I've gone through and stop them from doing whatever bad terrible, hard to learn things that I did by being open and honest and putting myself out there and being vulnerable to it. And yes, somebody may write a bad review, but one of my books, I got a one star review and one star review said, I didn't like this book. And I thought, what? You don't even give me no feedback? (laughs) Well, your feedback is you didn't like this book. (laughs) So that book was my Bullets and Bosses corporate book. That book now has like 38 reviews and it's like a 4.7. But that one star is still out there if you go out there and mm-hmm. look at it because, hey, they didn't like that book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it wasn't for them. And all you can say is, okay, you know, okay. And I can tell you that that pulled me down for about a half a day. And then I thought, you know what? They didn't like the book. Yeah. <laughs> so let it go. Let it go. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry you didn't like it. Okay. Wow. I mean, you just, I I love your attitude because you're just so positive. You're you're just, it seems like you take it in stride. You, You know that, okay, this will come and I know how to overcome it. And again, I just can't stop saying it enough about how I love the fact that you are inspiring other women and that's what you want to do. You want to give and you want to reach back. Do you do any coaching or are you exclusively an author? No, I actually am an author. I'm a speaker and I'm a coach. 
I have a mastermind group of uh, people. I actually offer a, a, a class uh, once a quarter. And I only offer it once a quarter because I only let like eight people in it. And it's uh, and I'm going to try and make it digital. It hasn't been digital. I'm, I probably should take one of those make a digital course thing. <laughs> but we have a class where I send them assignments. They send them back. And then at the end of the class, we all get together either on Zoom or in person, depending on people's finances. And we talk about what difference we're going to make to this world. Because that's the point of the class. The whole point is how do you become a more influential leader? And we go through the four tenets that I believe it takes for a person to be a good leader. And then we talk about what are you going to do different? And it makes a big difference when people know there's other people out there doing it and um, willing to share mm -hmm. with you. So I do that. I speak. I've got a big speaking engagement coming up in December for APCIS, which is the American Association of Supply Chain Management. Mm -hmm. Keynote, and my keynote is going to be emotional intelligence and guess what? How to be. There's <laughs> a theme here. And how to be an impactful leader. And uh, so I, I, I do all those things. Um, I'm busily updating my website to make sure people can reach me. I answer any and all emails that come to me. I answer any and all contacts. Um, when I speak, I put up my phone number, so I answer any and all text messages. Um, I, want, I want the world to be full of people that are trying to make things better for other people. And I want the leaders that are climbing to the top to be those that'll make the type of decisions that make our world better. I believe that can make a difference for us. And since I believe that, I, I, I try and, and do all the little things that I can to, to make that happen. So yeah, I, I'm an author. And now, because the books weren't reading enough, enough people, I'm a speaker. And then because I wasn't reaching enough people, I do a little coaching. But I'm not one of these big super organizations with lots and hundreds of people. It's, it's just me. Yes. So let's go into your books. Give us the rundown on your six books and just give us like a brief synopsis on each one and maybe tell tell the listeners um, what you were thinking, what was your impetus behind that particular book? Okay. The first book is Never a $7 Whore. And that's because I was never a $7 whore. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, that, I wrote that book because I want people to know how, no matter how desperate the situation is, maintain your integrity, maintain your hope, and maintain yourself. And you can find a way over time to get away from that situation. You know, I actually moved, to just tell you how crazy I was back then, I actually moved from Chicago to Cleveland, Ohio to become a model. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Chicago to Cleveland, Ohio. At that point, Cleveland's rivers were on fire. And I moved from to do that with a man that I thought loved me and said his contacts were in Cleveland. And so I got on a bus with him and rode to Cleveland. And once you recognize what a horrific decision that is, I detail in the book the situation and how I actually got out of it. Uh, the next book is um, From Zero to Family Hero. Zero to Family Hero talks about my college experience. And I start that book out with one of the things that happened to me when I was in college. 
back then, there weren't a lot of women in engineering classes, and there weren't a lot of black people. And I'm sitting in a big uh, hall, big college hall. It's got like 500 people in it because the freshman class is always huge. Being me, I'm in the front, of course, sitting down. And the professor was a, a German guy wearing a suit so old it was shiny. <laughs> okay, an old physicist. And he walks over and he stops and stands in front of me and he says, for everybody here, as part of this lecture, you won't be here long because women and minorities can't do physics. <laughs> really? Didn't nobody tell me. No one told me. I, darn a bad luck. He actually said that to me. He said that out loud. He said that in class. The whole class is looking at me. The only brown face down there, there was another African-American gentleman towards the back of the room. He actually got up and left, I guess, before the guy can say anything to him. But I sat there and I was determined that, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I can perform physics. I can do physics one-on-one. And a matter of fact, I'm going to show you I can do physics one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, whatever you got, I'm going to take it down. And that, I think, was one of the reasons I actually got through that first horrific time in college. But the whole idea of university is that you have to learn what you're doing and how you're doing it. The next book I wrote was from zero to, uh, was um, Bullets and Brosses Don't Have Friends. Uh, Studying hard and being smart is not enough in in corporate America. And that book I wrote because once I got retired and recognized I'd had all these different experiences that made a difference to my career. I actually managed to get to the point where I was offered to be the president of a company after I retired. Not while I was there, but I was a vice president. And then I retired, and then a Canadian corporation asked me, do you want to come and run us? And I said, no, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a horrible way to think about it. I'm out. Yeah. I get back in. The key to that is that at the end of each of the things, sometimes I did the right thing, and sometimes I did the wrong thing. I set up a set of exercise for people to say, what would you do? What is the right thing to do in your situation? And how would you handle this? Okay. How would you handle this? Mm-hmm. And that's some of my master class students, because in the book I actually offer that if you got a better solution, send me an email or talk to me about what it is and, and I will answer you back. Mm-hmm. Then I wrote a workbook for that because people were buying the book. And then call me up and say, that little space you left in the book for us to write in, that's not enough. We, no, we can't write in that. That's, you, you need to do something different. So I put together an entire workbook that is, uh, that's just pages that they can use. And it's the exact same exercises, mm-hmm. except it's, a, it's in the book by itself and it has a lot more room and you can write it out. Then I wrote uh, The Daytime Lives of the Ladies of the Night, because one of the questions that I kept getting answered asked when I put the first book out is, what do women of the night do during the daytime? <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> okay. Why don't I tell you what to do? They're just women. Mm-hmm. They're just women. They go visit their mother. They try to take care of their kids. They go grocery shopping. They do all the things normal people do. and And people didn't recognize it. I guess they thought that they ran naked through the house during the day or they they sat in hot tubs all day long. No, no, that's just a job for them. 
And when they're not doing their job, they have to do what the rest of us do, which is take care, take care of business, right. take care of your family and, and, and do what you want. And then uh, the last book is a little book. I like when you said your book was only uh, not enough pages for you. My last book is only about 50 pages. It's a little almost pamphlet. And it's called What Happened to Baby? Baby was the woman that was the head um, uh, prostitute when I went to Cleveland. And people wanted to know what happened to her. What, what, what happened to her after you left? And I actually knew what happened. And it makes people unhappy because it's not what they expected. What actually ended up happening is she ended up marrying the guy that was a pimp and having a decent life. <laughs> Sorry, I, I wish it was more salacious, but <laughs> that's what happened. You asked me, I wrote it, I found out what happened. That's what happened to her. And where she lives now with her husband, no one, no one knows their past. No one knows. They're just an old retired couple living in a house, being people, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and, and that's one of the things that I think is a, is a takeaway because even for her after that ridiculous, crazy, tough life she had for many, 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 many years with that, I like to call him despicable, but obviously she didn't think it was despicable. She married him with that man. They now live like normal mm-hmm. people. So everyone can change. Everyone has a chance. And that's one of the examples I like to use that you're never trapped. You can change what's happening to you and have a life like anybody else. What do you want to be? So yeah, that's that's the six plus. Wow. Wow. There's, you know, I'm going to have to put them into my rotation because they sound amazing. (laughs) I think they're interesting. One of the things I will say is my writing has simply gotten better. Uh, I'm now uh, am going to take my first book and rewrite it. Bullets and Bosses will get a second edition in December. I rewrote that because that's the most popular book that I have and it matches what I want to have happen. And I'm going to re-release that with the same title, a new cover, and about an extra hundred pages of things that are even more relevant to what's happening in the world today, but all the things that are going on. So it'll get a second edition. And then I'll go back to my first book and I'll do that same thing and rewrite them all because I'm just a better writer mm-hmm. than I was when I started. That's, people say, what do you mean better? Oh, I mean better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> better. The way I put words together is better. My ability to proofread and edit is better. And I do a lot of things now myself Like I can self-format my books now, but when I first put those books out, I had to pay somebody Mm -hmm. to format and I had to try to tell them what I wanted to happen. And they, and they did what I, they could, but now I know how to do it myself Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go in and make them be exactly what I want them to be. Wow. That's, that's funny. You say that because I've, since I've got the first book, I'm thinking about, okay, I would like to do more books and kind of like what you did as far as your path of coming up something maybe on that line on that. I don't know if it's going to be a series, so to speak, or just other books with, you know, with my story and the things I've learned and some lessons in them. But um, yeah, you learn. And just from the one book that I've done, I've learned a lot from that. 
And yes. I've learned of even now looking back, I'm going, I'm going to do a second edition because I'm going, you know, I wish I had a touched on this more. I wish I had expounded on oh. this. So yeah. I'm going to do exactly what you're saying, do a, a second edition and, and make it more um, robust and, and tell the story in a better better way to give a person more of a, a, a show me and a visual to to what I'm saying. So yeah, it's it's funny how that how that works. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I do to improve my writing is I actually work uh, write for uh, publications on medium.com. And you may want to think that because it's www.medium.com. You join, it's five dollars a month. And then you write articles and they pay you. Oh. They pay you based on how many people read your articles and you can write anything you want. I actually started writing on there for writing uh, to, to, to get my ideas out, mm-hmm. to talk about leadership and to whatever you want. It literally has thousands of writers doing whatever. So you can search it and you find tasks. And then when I joined, it says, hey, you want to get you like to write? You want to get paid in our partnership program? I joined them to their partnership program. And the articles can be anything from one word to a hundred billion words. Uh, you put in a title and a picture, people click on it and read it. And then um, you actually get comments back from people and it makes sure your ideas are out there. I started to get my ideas out, but it's now another revenue source flowing in my, in my organization. Mm-hmm. And it, if your book is a good book, which I think it's going to be a good book, well, <laughs> once you get it all published, you may want to start going out on Medium and saying, hey, I got this book. I got this book and this is what's in it. But take a look at that. That would be really cool. You know, when people have good ideas, it's just so hard to get them out into the world. And books are one way, but paid articles are another. So that would be cool. Oh, thank you for that. I wrote that down because I'm I'm going to check that as soon as we get off. Oh, you'll like it. You'll like it. It's it's, it, it doesn't pay you enough to pay the mortgage. <laughs> it does pay you enough to pay the light bill. <laughs> okay, so. That's, you know, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Tony. So we're going to get into the question part of the show. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Who or what motivates you? I am motivated by seeing people be successful. When I see someone that was struggling get themselves together and end up doing well. I really feel that when, especially if that person has struggled and paid some tough dues, when you see people be successful, it is uh, like a shot of adrenaline to my heart to watch them be successful. And I want to run over there and just say, yeah, you go, you do what you got to do. So yeah, that, that motivates me a lot. What demotivates you? Oh, goodness. The thing is when I see people with power just taking advantage of people and there's nothing I can do about it, I really dislike that. I'm one of those people that if I see something that I can make a difference in, I am an interferer. As my husband likes to say, I'm a troublemaker. I don't let bad things go on around me without doing something. So if there's something bad going on and I can't do anything about it, it uh, it breaks my heart. That demotivates me. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? 
I actually was at a uh, uh, company and we had to shut down um, an organization that had 2,000 people in it. And what was said at the meeting was a person said, let her do it because she don't really give a care about nothing. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, you look around thinking, whoa, that's something vicious to say about somebody. And it ended up working for my benefit because they did give me that assignment. I did pick up that plant because the person that was in charge of it ran away before they had to fire all those people. But I then got those people the best package that you could ever get for a person being severed. I sat down and I personally met with every person that was leaving that plant. The day that we laid the people off, I sat in my office and said, anybody that wants to walk in here and sit in my office and yell at me or talk to me or cry with me or grieve with me, whatever they wanted to do, I'll be sitting right here and playing where they can get to me and just make a line outside the door. I will see every single one of them. I will answer every benefit question. I had the HR people in the offices on either side of me. And when they got done with me, if they had a question, I sent them over there. So that was the first time the company ever closed a plant and got zero lawsuits back that we had done, closed it for ageism or sexism or racism or any ism that you can think of. And that worked in my favor because that rolled right up the chain to the CEO of the organization, I actually got a phone call from the CEO thanking me for my efforts for that. So that snide, ugly, nasty remark got me a terrible assignment that because I worked on it so hard, ended up helping my career because my name was known to the CEO. And when some good jobs came open, they thought about me. Wow. What is your fear? My fear is that I am not enough, that I will not be able to change anything. I think about that sometime. You know, you wonder what difference can one person make? What difference does it make if I write books or try to coach people or give out my email and phone number and try and help people? But that only happens when it's dark because it, after it's dark, you have to think to yourself, I am really doing everything I can do. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a fear that I'm not enough. Wow. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Yes. Yes. I once sat in a meeting where the boss of the meeting took pieces of paper and threw them at someone in the meeting. He, uh, we had a new engineer. The person worked directly for the boss, just like I did. And he hadn't turned in all of his expense reports. And the guy said, if I don't have all the receipts, I don't want any. And he literally sat there at the head of the table and he balled up those pieces of paper and threw them at that guy. And I did nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't look at the guy to try and give him support. I just stared at the table. And at the end of the meeting, I got up and ran away as fast as I can. I have never forgiven myself for that because at a minimum, I have social skills. Remember the the Mm -hmm. thing we have? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a black woman. I have social skills. 
I could easily have distracted the boss to me in the midst of that paper throwing. I could have done that by asking a question. I could have done that by dropping my book. I could have spilled some water on the table. I could have done anything to disrupt that horrific behavior. And I didn't do anything because I was out of my emotions. My emotions mm -hmm. were out of control. Mm -hmm. I was so stunned and embarrassed and ashamed. That I just sat there holding on to literally holding on to my chair, as did everyone else in the room. Why he totally behaved in a horrific fashion. So I that's that's one of the regrets I have in my career that I did not do something that, at that time because it didn't have I could have wasted. Wait, I could have spilled my coffee. If I had spilled my coffee on the table, that would have interrupted that whole thing. Mm. Wow. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Yes, there's a time when I wish I had not done something. Uh, when I was uh, in uh, Cleveland and I was supposed to be collecting the money from the girls because it turned out my skill was not being a prostitute. My skill was in counting and managing money. Mm. So I got that assignment, which was a wonderful assignment. <laughs> okay. It was a wonderful assignment. And I wish I had not done that <laughs> because I put together spreadsheets of how much money everybody was making by night and back then, it wouldn't have been spreadsheets. We used, actually used paper right. and you drew, and you know, right. you drew lines on it. And you put everybody's name on it Monday, right. Tuesday, Friday. <laughs> and then you put all how much money people were making. I wish I hadn't done that because it called attention to people and caused the uh, pimp to act differently. Uh -huh. And I gave him, I gave him the data for him to be bad. I should not have done that. But you were just being uh, a, a efficient person that you are. <laughs> you have to recognize every action has a consequence. And I think what I was actually doing, and this is the thing that makes it so horrific, was I actually distracted him totally away from me because he became obsessed with how much money people could make each day and who was making what and would come by to get those sheets from me all the time. So that became my job. So I didn't have to go out and do anything with anybody, but I had to track the cash and how much we had and how much was coming in and how much was going out and how much they were spending. And it, it made life worse for other people. And that was me providing the data for that. Mm. And that was horrific. I did that. What is your definition of success? I believe that I actually consider myself a success now. I believe success it's different for every person. I believe success is what you need it to be. For me, success at this point in my life, and I think it has changed. When I was a young woman, success was gathering money and taking care of my family. When I was in my middle of my career, success was getting promoted and getting more money, getting a better title and power. And now success for me is getting up, doing my writing, seeing my grandchildren whenever I want to and helping people as much as I can. And that makes me feel successful. Now I, I feel like I'm doing something to help the world and change the world. And that feeling is something you cannot buy. So yeah, I, I think that's my success. 
How do you recharge? Oh, I am a, a, a voracious reader and I love to travel. Uh, my granddaughter is like a power pack to me. <laughs> I have to, she's in Atlanta, I'm in Florida. So I drive up to visit her and just two days with that four-year-old and you recognize that, that all this stuff that you're stressing about isn't anything. What's really good is, did you stir the chocolate milk correctly? <laughs> did you get the chocolate in the chocolate milk? Did you stir that chocolate milk exactly up the way it needs to be? And you hand that to her and you get this huge, you can literally feel it, positive energy just comes at you like, Grandma, you the stuff. You made the fabulous chocolate milk with the marshmallows in it. There's nothing like this. And they'll take a big swig of it and then look up at you and give you the biggest smile in the world. And you think, yeah, yeah, I'm recharged. So if I, if I see myself headed somewhere where I don't want to go, or I have something horrible happen in the world, I'll FaceTime with my family. I'll get a really good book and curl up in my bed with a glass of wine. Or I'll just sit outside and think about how wonderful life is and how lucky and blessed I am. And that recharges me. What are you awesome at? I am uh, awesome at getting people to do better. And that's good. People, when I was uh, in corporate America, people would follow me and work for me. Uh, for my family, uh, nobody in my family had ever graduated high school. So I graduated high school, got a master's degree, and then check, 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 check. My sister came behind me. She now has a PhD. My brother came behind her. He's now an accountant. My sister came behind her. She owns her own business. My brother came behind her. He's got his own business. So what's happened is we've gone from corporate America, corporate America to entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and I started that track. So people will follow me. My family and my friends will follow me. Some of my friends, uh, we meet now and we talk and they say, you know, I never would have went to college if you hadn't gone. I'm like, what do you mean? They says, because it never occurred to me. But once you did it, I thought, if she can do it, I can do it. You know, because you know how your friends think about you. If you can do it, I, if she can go do that, I can go do that. If she can get a job in corporate America, I can get a job. If she can get promoted, I can get promoted. So that whole deal of making people do better, um, I'm awesome at that. I like that. What legacy do you want to leave? I want people to remember me as someone who cared about the world. Wow. I care about the world. That's what I want to leave. I want I want people to read my books or my articles or whatever they have and say she cared. She cared about the world enough to try and do something about it. That's that's all I want. That's all I need to leave. I think that my family is on the right track and is gonna do fine or not, you know, because people make their own decisions. But I want people to know that while I was here, I did the best I can. Okay, Tony, to give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Uh, the best thing you can do is to be true to yourself and tell yourself the truth. No matter what you tell anybody else about you, you have to know who you are 
and what makes you happy and what makes you perform. And that will make it so your life is simply good. And a good life is hard to get your hands on. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you, how they can get your books, the whole shebang. Well, I mentioned to you what prior show that I am going to put together a special Trina Talks free gift for uh, your listeners. And I believe I'll make it about leadership and the things that it is. I think I'll include a meditation that I have about controlling your emotions. Um, You can get my books on Amazon. I'm in Barnes and Noble. I'm on Ingram Sparks. Uh, You can uh, just go on my website. My website is really easy. It's www.com. TonyCrowWriter.com. So it's my name, T-O-N-I-C-R-O-W-E-W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And you'll see right across the top, contact me. So you can contact me. You'll see the free gift. You click it. You'll see the thing that says Trina Talks. Click that and get your free gift if you like. Um, And you can look me up on the web and LinkedIn. And I'm just plain old Tony Crow. Uh, If you send me an email or a text or contact me, I will respond. Thank you, Tony. You have been such a joy to speak with. I mean, those gems you're dropping and just seeing that passion exude from you. I know the listeners are going to just be motivated to just continue on whatever they want to do because you have shown that you never give up and that they can do it. You can never give up. And I think that, and and, and I'm going to say this because I thank you so much for having me on the podcast, but I think it's women like us that have cut down, you know, the the way I like to think about it is that you and I stepped out into a jungle. When we went out, there was a jungle and we took our machetes and we've cut it down, cut the bush down. The people behind us don't have a jungle. They still got some plants to cut down. By the time that third generation walks through there, that's going to be grass. Yes. <laughs> and they're not going to cut down no trees. There'll be no bushes and no weeds. They'll be able to walk straight through to their own jungle. They go further mm-hmm. than us. They'll go deeper. And then they got to pull up their machetes and chop it out. We've cleared the way for them to be able to go where we could not go. My mom was smarter than me. Mm. I, I hate I, That's just a fact. She's gone now, but I always thought to myself, my goodness, if she had even had a chance, what could she have mm-hmm. been? So I've cut down the weeds for my daughter. My daughter's cutting down the, the, the things that's left. I cleared the jungle. She's clearing the weeds. My granddaughter's got to walk through the grass. We should got to walk through the grass to a new jungle. And I expect her to have a machete when she gets there. And chop down whatever's there and start making a way for other people to go through. And that's just how I see it. Each of us moves the path along a little bit further. That was beautiful. That was truly beautiful. Yes. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your your light in the world. And thank you for putting your hand out to pull somebody else up. Well, thank you for inviting me on to your podcast. As I said, I've listened to it and it's it's way cool. It's way cool what you're doing. I can't wait for your book. Thank you. I'm going to definitely let you know. (laughs) (laughs) If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. 
Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.